Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for who you are. God, thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you for your love for us, for your grace, for your mercy. God, thank you for Paul and the book of Acts, that we can learn and grow and understand how we too can use the lessons that we see and how Paul shares the good news of Jesus, that we can use that to share the good news of Jesus ourselves. So God, just pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would open our ears Open our minds, open our hearts, not to, not to what we already know, God, but what it is that you have for us today, maybe to be reminded of something, maybe to hear something new, maybe to have you press on our hearts to understand or learn or know something that we have forgotten. God, we just give this time to you and pray that it would be to your glory as we look to grow in faith and closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Acts 17. If you've got your Bibles, please turn to Acts 17. This is another one of those awesome chapters in the book of Acts that just, it's kind of like a movie. It's a glimpse that we have into Paul the preacher. It's a look that we have into his enthusiasm and how it is that he tailors his message depending on who it is that he's talking to. And it's such a good thing for us because we know that we're supposed to share the good news of Jesus, but it's sometimes hard to do it. We don't know what to say, and we're not sure that we really dare talk about it. And Paul is such a great example because he never changes the message, but he changes how he shares the message. And we're going to get to see that today. It's, a, it's an incredible number of similarities that we see in this passage of Acts to the United States of today. He's going to go visit some people who really pride themselves on their independence and their intelligence, on their learning and on their knowledge. And he's going to have a chance to use logic and reasoning to help open them to Jesus. And sometimes today, people who know who Jesus is just need to understand a little bit better of who he really is in Scripture and who he is in our lives. And logic and reasoning is sometimes what we can use. And if we don't understand who He is in the Bible, we get drawn into what the world is going to tell us to believe, the world's teaching, the world's ideas, and the world's lifestyles that are so far from God. And that's exactly the people that Paul finds himself in in this passage today. So Acts 17, we're going to have to move really fast. I want to go through the whole thing. We're going to jump verses a little bit. Uh, if you're taking notes, take out the super fast pen because you're going to need it. Uh, Acts 17, verse 1, Paul and Silas traveled through the towns of Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica. Interesting because Paul later writes two letters to the church in Thessalonica, uh, First and Second Thessalonians. What we see here is the beginning of that church. This is his first visit, and so what Luke records in Acts is the beginning of what we're able to follow as we go through the New Testament. There was a Jewish synagogue... Uh, and as Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the Scriptures to reason with the people. I talked about last week, Paul was Jewish. Paul was the one that God sent to, to reach the Jewish people first and foremost. Paul was a Jewish by, by his culture, by his religion, by his upbringing. He had been raised to be a rabbi. He talks about he was raised by the most famous rabbi of all of them. He knew his stuff as a Jewish man. When he went to a synagogue, he was in very, very familiar territory because he knew he was with religious people. He was with spiritual people, but he wasn't around people who yet knew and accepted Jesus. So that's what he did. For three weeks, he went there to reason. He explained the prophecies and proved the Messiah must suffer and 
rise from the dead, he said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. He's using their old Scripture. We would understand it as the Old Testament. He's using their Scriptures to lay out the foundation that this guy that you've been waiting for, this Messiah that you've been waiting for, is named Jesus. He's a real man. He came to earth. We were able to see and experience His teaching. He suffered and died, was buried, and the third day He rose again, fulfilling all of the Scriptures that they read and study. He's not introducing any new ideas at all. He's just giving a name to the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men, and quite a few prominent women. I talked about this change last week. Suddenly women are taking a very different place in the church than they ever did in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we're going to see Luke making sure that we understand where the women were involved. It wasn't just men who were being saved. There were men being saved. But Luke makes sure that we understand that a number of women also believed. That's a turn that's happening in the church. But some of the Jews were jealous. These are the religious Jews. Now, these are the ones that consider themselves very spiritual, very traditional, very fundamental. They didn't want to hear anything new. So they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. It's interesting to me because things don't ever change. I said this is a lot like what's happening in our country. And when we have traditions, one of the things in the church uh, that you hear so often in so many churches, we can't do it uh, that way. That's new. We've never done it that way before. Or else it's, we've always done it this way. We're not interested in something new. He's bringing about the fulfillment of the Scriptures that these people hold dear. And yet it's a change. It's more of a change than what they want. They're not ready for a Messiah yet. Certainly not one that was killed even though the Scriptures say that's what had to happen. And so what they do is they decide they're going to stop him. They're going to do something to stop this guy. So they go to the marketplace and they get troublemakers and they form a mob and they start a riot. They attack the home of Jason searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag him to the crowd. Not finding him, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers and instead took them before the city council. If we can't get the guys we want, we're going to make life miserable for somebody. So they get who they can and they bring them before the council. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted. All over the world. Are you kidding? They've barely begun. They haven't begun to reach the world. They will. But the thing is, when when you want to convince somebody of something that isn't true, you've got to take a little bit of truth. Paul and Silas is the truth. Causing trouble all over the world and tell a story that has no basis in fact. And that's exactly what they're doing trying to stop this movement. They shouted, now they're here in our city too, and Jason has welcomed them. He's one of the problem makers. He's welcomed them into his home, and they're all guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. Exactly what they've spent their whole life being told to look forward to in church. But it wasn't the message they wanted. It wasn't the man they wanted. The people of the city, as well as the city council, were thrown into a turmoil by these reports. They're thrown into a turmoil because there are some people that just love to get offended and excited and worked up. And the gossip starts and the rumor starts. And there are some folks that just love to dive into this kind of stuff. So the officials forced Jason and the other believers to post bond and they released them. They had to pay a fine. Remember what I said? Things haven't really changed. Money solves everything, even back 2,000 years ago. They stir up trouble for these people who are trying to say that 
God has fulfilled the Scriptures you've spent your whole life studying. And then go on to verse 10. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. They got them out of town, got them out of trouble. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue because that was Paul's custom. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those of Thessalonica. There is still a group out there today called the Bereans. They considered themselves very open-minded. They would call themselves Christians, absolutely for sure. And one of the things they hold on to is that they have a true understanding, a faithful understanding of Scripture. Uh, You can read about them online. They take their name from this passage right here in the book of Acts. And the people of Berea were open-minded than those in Thessalonica. They listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the Scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. This is why it's so important to know your Bible. It's really good to to have good teaching. It's really good to know that that whoever is delivering a message has done their research, and I try to spend my week making sure that that's true. But you need to know your Bible as well. You need to study and double-check and make sure that what's being said is true. You need to make sure that what's being said and what you're believing meets with Scripture. And that's what they're doing here. As a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. Now we're, we're going out, they're no longer Jews, but Greek women and men are coming to the faith and becoming a part of the way. But when some Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the Word of God in Berea, they went there and they stirred up trouble again. Not just with the women in the text, but the troublemakers. The believers acted at once, sending Paul on to the coast, while Silas and Timothy remained behind. Those escorting Paul went with them all the way to Athens. And there they returned to Berea with instructions for Silas and Timothy to hurry and join them. Why is it so important that the women are named? Because Jesus came for everybody. And Old Testament culture was very much geared toward the men. The women did what they were told is what it amounts to. They weren't a witness in court. What they said didn't matter. They couldn't speak in public. But Luke is making sure in the New Testament we understand that women have not just a prominent role, but an important role. That for women to be saved alongside men is really at the heart and the core of the gospel. So Paul is going to Athens now. This is the the hub of learning. This is where intelligence ruled. This is where people were so proud of how well they thought. And we get so many great thinkers and philosophers out of there. But Paul wasn't going for the reasons that most people visit Athens today. He wasn't there to buy or sell anything. He wasn't there to take pictures. He wasn't there to see the sights. He didn't go there to jump into intelligent debates on logic and reason and philosophy and politics that they loved to engage in because they loved being the smart ones. Paul wasn't there to become what really amounts to being the first self-help movement in the world because they liked new ideas. They liked to think. They liked to talk about them. Paul wasn't there to engage the religious but the spiritually dead people in Athens. I've got news for you. According to the studies that I've read about our area, somewhere between 70 and 80% of the people that you interact with every single day, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, uh, whether it's walking around town, somewhere between 70 and 80% say that they're religious. Yeah, they believe in something. They've got faith. But they don't believe in Jesus. They're spiritually dead. And so what we can understand from this passage is what Paul is doing here is the very same thing that God invites you and I to do today. To talk to people who love ideas, love to think, are even interested in new ideas. 
They might consider themselves religious. They might even say, I'm very spiritual. But they're spiritually dead if they don't know Jesus. And that's the majority of the folks that Paul is talking to. These intelligent, scholarly men and women and and their their brilliant discussions, Paul jumps in. He's going to use their own tactics, not to amaze them with his education, which is formidable. Paul is an intelligent man. Paul is going to do it to win souls for Jesus. And and what we see in this passage is the beginning of some of the God-given brilliance that God has given Paul to engage people of different cultures, different ethnicities, different categories of wealth, engage all of them on the same level in conversations about Jesus. And there's so much there for us to learn. Paul is a great example of how we can do the very same thing in our world today with just a little bit of effort. So Paul goes to Athens. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. There was idols everywhere. They worshipped, you know, Greek mythology. They worshipped all kinds of gods, and those gods were very disconnected from the people. They didn't bother with our lives, but people were kind of taught to be afraid of them. You know, if if the gods do something that they're not happy with you, you're going to pay for it. So there's gods, small g, but they didn't interact in people's lives the way that the God, capital G, the Creator God that Paul is going to talk to them about. So he sees all these idols and places to worship, and he's troubled by it. He went to the synagogue, as was his custom, to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square who happened to be there. He went to church, and he was a street preacher. Paul was there to talk about Jesus. That was it. He also had a debate with some of the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers. That's interesting because the Epicureans, they're the atheists. They were the highly intelligent ones, or so they thought, who didn't believe in God at all, that that everything was made of matter, and if it was to be worshipped, you could see it, you could touch it, you you could create it. There was no God. All there was was stuff. And then the other one that it talks about is the Stoic philosophers. Basically, they believed everything was God. God was in everything. God was everywhere. Religious, spiritual, but absolutely ignorant. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, "Uh, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. If you've ever gone out and tried to talk to people who don't know Jesus about him, they think you're nuts. They think you're kind of crazy. And the message that the world gives us is, you know what? You're dangerous because you believe something we don't understand. So we're going to make it hard for you. We're going to make it difficult. Stir up a mob. Create a riot. Make us feel like we don't know anything. Make us feel like we're feeble-minded and weak. It's the same thing that they faced then. And so what happens is, you and I, we learn real quickly, well, I better be quiet because people are going to make fun of me. You know what? They're not going to make fun of you. What they're realizing is that you know something that they don't. And the only response they have is to do that, to wonder what in the world is wrong with you. When they took him to the high council of the city, come and tell us about this new teaching, they said, because they like new ideas. You're saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. They love the idea of being big thinkers. They love the idea of of having big ideas. They love the idea of new information, the new possibilities, but they were very stuck in their ways. So Paul, oh, excuse me, 
Back, got to go back one. It should be explained to all the Athenians as well as the foreigners in Athens seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. I read that and I thought, it's social media. It's the first social media. They spend all their time talking about people and stuff and new ideas, but they really don't spend time talking about stuff of actual value. It's kind of the first social media craze. So Paul, standing before the council, addresses them as follows. We're going to see a little bit of how Paul steps into a new culture and talks about Jesus. A few years ago, Dater and I went to uh, the Holy Land for our first visit. Uh, We were led by a guy who had been there 42 times. He said he was never going to go again. He was too old. I think he's been there three times since. Kind of gets in your system. And he said something before we ever left. We had a a get-together. And he said, when you go, don't consider yourself a tourist. Don't, don't go to the Holy Land thinking that you're going to just go visit and take pictures and see the sights. Instead, think of yourself as a pilgrim. Think of yourself as a pilgrim with a purpose that's going there for a reason that's more than just taking pictures and seeing things. See, Paul entered Athens as a pilgrim with a purpose. That's how it is that we should approach every day and that we should approach and embrace every opportunity as a pilgrim with a purpose. That God has something new for us if we're willing to see it and boldly step into it. But as with Paul in our world, people try to squash that real quick. They don't want to hear your God talk. They don't want to hear what Jesus is doing in your life. But you know what? They need to know. God wouldn't tell us to talk to people and to share our faith if people didn't need to hear it. So this is the part where Paul is at the Areopagus. He's got this... uh, this great speech that he's going to give. And he begins his message by making clear he has an understanding of the people and the culture, the importance of religion to them, and an understanding of their style of communication. And in order to make a point about Jesus, he starts with a compliment. One of the things you should know is people don't want to hear all about what you believe until they know that you care about who they are. If you're just preaching to them, their ears close very quickly. If you're having a conversation that addresses their life and recognizes who they are, people tend to listen a lot more carefully, and that's what Paul does. See, this is his opportunity to talk about the real reason he's there. Uh, Why? Because as people, we want to be known for who we are, and we want to be respected for who we are. And Paul begins that way. I always find it interesting, you've maybe read these things too, reviews about people who've traveled in foreign countries. Maybe you've just gone to a different part of our country. And the reviews kind of come back like this sometimes. I didn't like it there. I, I didn't like it in Italy. Nobody spoke English. I didn't like going to Finland. The food wasn't anything like America. We went to the hotel and they don't treat us at all like they did back home. We expect everybody to be just like us and to treat us the way we expect to be treated back home. But Paul goes to Athens addressing the people where they are, for who they are. He understands that learning and experience is part of the point of travel, is getting to know the people. So one of the things that I've learned to do in studying Paul, when I want to have a Jesus conversation with people, I don't start right out saying, I want to tell you about Jesus. I don't start right out saying, do you believe? I don't start out saying, do you know if you're going to heaven? If you die today, are you going to heaven or hell? That tends to turn people off. What I've learned to do And some of you who've met me for the first time, I've done this with you. It's just as simple as this. Hi, my name is Steve. You introduce yourself. And I say, what's your story? Tell me your story. What got you here? What's interesting is we always tell what's important to us. 
So as a pastor, 11 years doing outreach and evangelism, it was important to get at the heart of where somebody was at. They would tell me about their faith because they knew who I was and what I did. When you ask someone to tell their story, we like to tell because nobody wants to listen. Paul starts out saying, I know a little bit about your story. Try it sometime. If you want to have a Jesus conversation with someone, if you just want to have an interesting experience without expecting anything else, just ask someone, maybe somebody you know, tell me your story. What they will do in turn, if you're really willing to listen, is tell you what's important to them. They'll tell you the things that nobody else wants to hear. They'll tell you the things that matter to them that they don't think anybody else cares about. And Paul begins that way. So standing before the council, he addresses them. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. He gives them a compliment. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. It said earlier that he was greatly troubled by all the idols, but that's not how he presents it. So often Christians come with a hammer and they hit people over the head with the Bible trying to scare them into heaven. He doesn't do that. He's troubled by the idols. But he says, I noticed your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. They were so concerned about covering all their bases that they had idols and shrines to all the gods they knew, that whole pantheon of Greek gods and goddesses. But they also made sure they had one in case they missed anybody. I kind of think about people who say that they're spiritual, but they're not Christian. Well, I'm going to kind of dabble in a little bit of everything because something will surely get me to heaven. Actually, no, the only thing that's going to get you to heaven is salvation in the name of Jesus. And Paul starts with that. And he doesn't give him a hard time for it. Instead, what he says, this God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about, Jesus. You've known him all along. You've worshipped. You just haven't had a name. I'm going to give you his name. His name is Jesus. He's the God who made the world and everything in it. He is the God who is so powerful that everything you see and experience and know, both the spiritual and the physical, was created by Him. He doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve His needs, for He has no needs. He Himself gives life and breath to everything, and He satisfies every need. Anything you could ever hope for or want, God covers From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He just did the whole creation to where they are, right there. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. I think that Paul's on to something here talking to these folks that we need to understand. What I see happening in America in the news, whether you believe it or not, it's a crisis of faith. In fact, it's an absence of faith. What's happening is we're so convinced that we know everything. We're religious. We're spiritual. We do a little bit of everything. We mix and match it. We create our own smorgasbord or buffet of religiosity. But in the, fact, in the end, it's really all empty. And what we end up with is faith that's really small. Because we only give God so much room and we don't believe that God is really that big. And Paul is saying God is everything. It isn't that He's a part of what you should worship. He doesn't deserve one shrine. God is everything. Everything you see, hear, know, and experience comes from God. And what ends up happening is that we end up with faith that is as small as the God that we believe in. And in fact, God is all-encompassing. God is everything. 
God created everything. God controls everything. God is everything. And instead of having an understanding of a small God that's, that's out there with a whole lot of other things that we give time and attention to, if we understood how all-encompassing our Creator God really is, our faith would begin to match it. His purpose was for nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Though He's not far from any one of us, God is all over if only we're willing to see Him. For in Him we live and move and exist. Some of your own poets have said, we're His offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen for gold or silver. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now He commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to Him. What is the message that America needs to hear today? That verse in the book of Acts. God overlooked these things before. But you know what? You're responsible to know now. You might hear and ignore. You might hear and choose not to believe. But we can't say that we haven't been told. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. We can't afford to be ignorant about what is in God's Word. But now He commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to Him. What's the message of John the Baptist? What's the message of Jesus? What's the message of the New Testament? Repent and be baptized. For He has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man He has appointed. And He proved everyone who this is by raising Him from the dead. Again, Jesus. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. Not one of them said, Paul, we believe. Some of them laughed at him, which is always going to happen, and others said, we want to hear more. That ended Paul's discussion with them. Then it goes on and says, but some joined him, and they became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council, one of the leading people of the city, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Again with the women. Again with Jesus. Again, with Paul simply speaking the truth of God, there, there's been no Paul talk in this at all. It's all God talk about Jesus. So if Paul were to come to our world today, this man with this formidable intellect, incredible education, knowledge, faith, absolute commitment to the cause of Jesus, if Paul were to come to our world today and visit with you, how would he share Jesus with you? That's an important question because what we know from Paul is that he opens with what's important to people. He opens with where they're living, what they believe, what matters to them. We're going to see it over and over and over again. We know that he opens with what is most important with people and he moves to what is most important. And that's Jesus. So what's most important to you? If Paul came to talk to you today, this, this God-inspired, Holy Spirit-filled man sat down and talked to you, would he start with your family? Because that's what's most important. Would he start with your job, your career, your hopes, your dreams, your cabin, your car, your money? What's certain is that Paul would find a way of turning every one of those things, every single thing, that is most important to us, he would find a way to talk about how it is that that thing is a gift to us from God. And he would change that conversation to be about Jesus. 
And what's really cool is if we're willing to learn from Paul, we can do the same thing. You can ask someone what their story is. You can find out what's most important to them. And always, every single time, because God created them, you can turn that conversation to one about Jesus. You can choose to talk about cars and houses and fishing and decorating your garden, your crops. You can choose to talk about people, which inevitably turns into gossip. Or you can choose to talk about Jesus. The single most important topic that any of us will ever engage in. So important that Paul went to the very heart of intelligent conversation in the whole world. And he didn't tell him how smart he was. He told him who Jesus was. So what or who is most important to you? And what or who will you choose to talk about with the people around you this week? Let's pray. God, thank you for Paul. Thank you for his education, for his intelligence. Thank you for the moment that you met him on the road to Damascus and changed his life forever because, God, we are the ones who benefit today from what it is that you did in Paul's life. Thank you for his example. Thank you for his teaching. Thank you for his way of communicating. Even though it's 2,000 years ago, God, we can still learn so much about it. But, God, we can also learn an awful lot about us. Because Paul talked to people about what was important. He, he knew what was important to them, and God, you know what's most important to us. But Paul always turned the conversation to Jesus because Jesus truly is most important. Help us to read and to understand, to learn, to grow. God, not to be offended, but to have our faith challenged and strengthened and grown through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. My last thought for you is this. What are you going to choose to talk about this week? You're going to have dozens of conversations. You're going to talk to people from all different walks of life about all kinds of different things. What are you going to choose to talk about? If you choose to talk about Jesus, and that would be my challenge, realize that Jesus came that we would have life and have it to its fullest because that's what we were created for. And once we understand what we were created for and who we were created by, we have the privilege and the opportunity to tell other people who don't understand who they were created by and what they were created for. I challenge you to talk to somebody about Jesus this week, even if it isn't comfortable. Maybe it's your first time. You'll be amazed at what God does through the conversation. Thanks for coming. One more song before we go. See you again next Sunday, everybody.